This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Thanks for joining me on the Janice Dean Podcast. Our guest today is an accomplished venture capital pioneer who has helped build many global companies over the last 50 years, while his life and career has also delved into politics and philanthropy, not to mention raising a beautiful family filled with three children and many grandkids. His latest venture capital fund focuses on servicing the aging population with the creation of primetime partners. He's a strong advocate of being a caregiver, which is how I got to know Alan Patrikoff. His beautiful wife, Susan, passed away in January of 2021 after living with Alzheimer's for many years. Alan has been involved in an organization called Caring Kind, who helped him and his family through the stages of the disease by providing caregivers with expert training. Alan talks about his wife, his career, and how he plans on staying healthy, setting goals for himself, and says he wants to live to the age of 114. It was a fascinating and touching conversation that I enjoyed very much. So welcome, Alan Patrikoff to the Janice Dean podcast. Alan, thank you for being here today. And thank you for what you do. Uh, You're obviously a very accomplished person. Um, But I came in contact with you because of your work uh, with Caring Kind. Um, And I've been doing a lot of advocacy in my last three years. Uh, My husband lost both of his parents during COVID. Um, They were both in separate elder care facilities. And uh, we definitely talked about what we could do in their advancing stages of their lives. Um, And we had aides going and visiting them. There were still emergency trips to the ER. Um, And if we could do it over again, obviously, we would like to, we would have thought about other options. And as a caregiver, I wanted to find out, you know, what that was like for you with your wife. Well, I'm not sure how many options you really have as a caregiver today. Uh, So you probably did about as good as anybody could have done. Uh, And I would have no uh, recriminations, self-recriminations about what you did or didn't do. Uh, My wife had Alzheimer's, started out early as, you know, analysis of aphasia, which is what people usually talk about, which is loss of ability to recall words or numbers, uh, but gradually they, they diagnosed it as uh, the reality, which was <coughs> Alzheimer's. And uh, it really started in 2009, and she passed away two years ago uh, in 2021. So it lasted 12 years hmm. uh, in total. And uh, during those 12 years, you see a gradual uh, but definite deterioration in the person's ability. It, it doesn't start necessarily. Eventually, all the functions disappear, but they don't disappear in the same order. It can be 
speech goes away, toileting goes away, uh, dressing oneself, walking around oneself, uh, speech, uh, all the things that are essential functions of, of living and uh, eating one's, by oneself. And uh, she lost all those functions in the last two years. She really wasn't able to do anything. Mm. Um, she couldn't eat by herself, couldn't speak, um, uh, walk very hesitantly, and uh, in terms of obviously couldn't dress or toilet herself. So uh, I went through the whole process. And at some point during that time, maybe in uh, two or three years beforehand, I heard about this organization, Caring Kind, which was a spinoff of or a recreation of the original Alzheimer's Association of New York. And I went to visit them. And uh, I was very impressed with, first of all, the quality of the facilities. It's on Lexington Avenue and 40th Street uh, and a, a very nice modern facility in a, a fine office building and uh, from this time you step off the elevator you feel you're in a very cheerful environment and they uh, train caregivers and act as somewhat as an employment agency but that's not their main function it's a non-profit uh, they help to give entertainment to the uh, people who are going through the disease problem. And uh, from my standpoint, most importantly, they ran support groups for people who are caregivers, mm -hmm. which involved going in every other week for an hour and a half and meeting with a sociologist or, child, or psychologist and uh, sitting around in a group function. I guess it's somewhat like group analysis, but everybody talks about... Uh, things that have uh, affecting them or and I think it's just helpful to know there are other people going through the same things or something similar I learned during this process and I'm in the venture capital business uh, so if you understand anything about venture capital we we are our whole world is due diligence and analysis and looking for new ideas and so certainly because of my uh, my talents in that field, uh, I never stopped looking for uh, places where help might come, whether mm. it was pharmaceuticals or new treatments or uh, anything that might be an answer. And we used uh, hearing consultants. We had speech consultants at a certain point, which were that was helpful early on mm -hmm. uh, uh, to help reinforce words and such. Uh, and I gradually found out that, and I'm not practicing medicine, that what various doctors will give you, and we went to several, is the traditional drugs of Aricept and Namenda, which you know became part of my lexicon, but uh, they really didn't do very much. Mm -hmm. Did you find that you were trying to find a doctor that you know would listen to you? Did you go through many doctors? I find that... Uh, if you have a medical condition or someone that you love has a medical condition, you want to have the right doctor to take you down that path. And too often, you're going into the doctor's office, they're looking at their, their watch, uh, and you don't feel like you're being treated as a human. Well, I, 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 I wouldn't say that necessarily was what I haven't. What, what the biggest problem is neurologists are very, very rare. Mm. To get an appointment yeah. with a neurologist can take you two butts. Uh, so that's a, that's a problem. 
problem. And uh, during the course of our uh, experience, uh, our doctor uh, uh, was going through a trial of a new drug. And so my wife participated in an infusion trial for a Baxter drug, which she went through 12 difficult days of infusions and uh, uh, it was in phase three which is the furthest along which was the close it was it was really close to being a drug and of course in the end it was disapproved and so those 12 weeks were kind of a waste because mm. there were no results shown but uh, I, I'm also uh, my main activity now I started my third firm at 85 I'm now 88 congratulations at, at 85 well I just ran the New York I was the oldest person to finish the marathon well in November. that's amazing too yeah but I, I at 85 I started my third firm called primetime partners and our function is to uh, find product service it's for profit it's a venture capital fund product services experiences and technologies for uh, the elderly and we used to say over 60 now we are have learned to say over 50 uh because the process of getting old old, entering older age is around 50 but it's the fastest growing part of the population yes and they're going to live longer and they're going to have more money to spend so it's a very exciting area for investment for us but in that process we are seeing lots of people who come up with ideas that claim to be slow down the process of of Alzheimer's mm-hmm. or other or other drugs now other uh, maladies not just not just uh, uh, Alzheimer's cancer as well and heart disease but uh, so I it's my it's my avocation and my vocation mm-hmm. is really dealing with older people and trying to find solutions and uh, I you know I've re- seen the recent announcements from a couple of drug companies which promise uh, to slow down by a few months uh, well in the context of of 12 and 15 and 20 years that some people can have that a few months really is, is not a revolutionary particularly if it's going to cost extraordinary amounts of money for people to pay and not reimbursed by uh, Medicare. So I, I think at the moment we're struggling, still struggling. Uh, I'm hopeful. I, ca- I can't honestly say I'm optimistic that there's a drug on the horizon that's going to. You're not optimistic. It. I'm not. You're not. I, I don't. I don't see it happening. Although I, I make clear, prime time does not invest in drugs or biologics, but we see everything that's going on around this whole area and. Uh, uh, let me tell you, anyone who can come up with any kind of cure or help for uh, the you know mental problems or neurological problems has got a, a, a bonanza ahead of them. And mm-hmm. I think because of the fact that we're going to live longer, yeah. there are going to be more and more of us. I mean, my parents didn't have this problem. Uh, if they'd lived probably another 10 years, they might have had it, uh, although they lived my father lived to 94, my mother lived to 86, but um, they, uh, uh, I think they're going to be, uh, by 2030, there'll be more people over 60 than under 18. Right. Uh, they say that today a child that's born, uh, half the children that are born today will live to over 100. And if you're going to live longer, it's inevitable, just like your skin withers and your feet get uh, shakier, uh, your mental uh, acuity is going to have problems. And so this is a disease, 
it's not going away. Right. And we have to educate people, too, because my husband's father, when he was in a nursing home, he, we were trying to rehab him. He had various ailment, ailments, but he was in the stages of Alzheimer's, and his caregivers really didn't know how to deal with that. Uh, we would go in sometimes, and they put food in front of him, and he wouldn't eat the food. You know, so we have to educate as well. Uh, and and I think awareness is, is one way. And there's a big shortage, a huge shortage. They talk about shortage of nurses. There are shortage yes. of caregivers. No, it's, listen, I, I'm a big advocate when it comes to this and nursing homes and elder care and how we have to fix this problem. And it's been going on for decades. Uh, and if we don't go back and see what is underneath the floorboards and who is owning and operating these places and how the hospitals have roles in this. I mean, it 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 can be quite depressing. So it's it's optimistic talking to people like you who are seeing who experience this firsthand, but also wants to make a difference. Well, you know, an interesting fact and I, I don't don't trust me for being exact in any of my facts, but I uh, I have a lot of general facts. Uh, there's something like 53 million people uh, like you and me, uh, probably not like us because we had professional caregiving. But there are supposedly, let's call it over 50 million people who are non-professional caregivers who don't have the resources to hire a professional caregiver, which is very, which are in great short supply, but who are providing that caregiver. And the the uh, President Biden had a proposal in for child care and for uh, elder care, yes. which was to compensate. And there are programs that exist that if you are a uh, non-professional and you have to give up part of your work career uh, and you're losing income that the government actually, if I mean, you have to be pre-qualified and, and know you're, what you're doing and, and it's not just arbitrarily given out, but they are compensating people, which is to me a very a big fair, very fair yes, idea. Absolutely. Yeah. Because it can bankrupt you. Yeah. I mean, it, it, uh, it's, it's an enormous undertaking. And like you mentioned, uh, one in six of us is 65 and older right now. And this problem is just going to continue. Don't go anywhere. We'll have more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. What was your wife like? Tell me about her. My wife was phenomenal. My wife, uh, and you don't have to take my word for it, uh, she's one of the few people, if you go around New York, and she was very active. She was vice chairman of the Columbia School of Public Health. She was chairman of, I guess, if not the biggest, one of the biggest uh, child development centers in Harlem called Northside, which she was the chairman of for 40 years. She was on the board of the International Rescue Committee. Her specialty was children, uh, particularly children in armed conflict zones and spent a lot of time in Africa. Uh, but my wife was the nicest, sweetest, easiest going human being, not like her husband, 
who was loved by everyone, and who's, in addition to it, was probably the most attractive, forgive me, most attractive woman in New York. I mean, Aww. she would be stopped on the street uh, when we would walk, and uh, people would just uh, come over and say something. Mm -hmm. So she was a combination of being nice. It didn't go to her head. Mm. Uh, and so she, uh, uh, her memorial was well attended by Aww. a lot of people who cared about her. And there have been a, several things dedicated to her name since yeah. since then. How long were you married for? We were married, we were just short a month of 51 years. Oh, wow. And what was that like? I mean, in the early stages, was she aware of what was going on? You know, she knew where it started was, it started very simply. Uh, I can remember that when she came, she'd say to me, I'd say, I'll meet you at uh, 332 East 52nd Street. And she'd say, say it again. Mm. I said, Susan, I just said 332 East 52nd. She said, you know, I can't remember it. Say it slowly. Mm. So I'd say three, three, two. And then she, it would be the same for spelling a name. Uh, and I had to respell it, and uh, and then she'd say to me, "You know, I never could have. I never. I always had a bad memory, mm. and you know, I'd let, accept that for a while. And then I think I said we had had a, we we ought to check uh, it out, and it took us two months to go to a neurologist, and she had had uh, an aneurysm, a brain aneurysm, and the first thing we did was to check that with another. Uh, person who had been involved with that, her at that time, and said there's absolutely no connection. Uh, brain aneurysm would not affect that and that she, that was not an issue. And because uh, that was the first thing, thinking that the aneurysm affected the Alzheimer's, the, the memory loss. And then she, the uh, neurologist, uh, who was a standard neurologist, then sent us to someone who was an expert uh, and this is the person that put her into this trial. Uh, we try to, uh, I, you know, being who I am, with all the exposure to things that are going on, I, you know, there wasn't much I did try, yes. uh, including the MIT project, including these trials, including a, uh, I forget what they call it, but where they put a like a harness on your head and and infuse it with. Uh, um, electrical waves, which is uh, done very professionally and has had some results, I gather, because it's, it's being given actively by a Dr. Devi, who uh, is a very professional doctor, and uh, uh, it does work. It just didn't, I think we went to eight or ten sessions, and I gave up. Uh, and I, I finally, finally came to the conclusion at some point, and we, had, we uh, are, are started getting caregivers during the day yep. and then I couldn't handle it at night mm -hmm. and uh, then we had unfortunately an accident which was you know after the barn door uh, closed the barn door afterwards she fell down the stairs and uh, that was a setback but the again the doctors in the hospital uh, swear that that had no impact fortunately on her brain function mm -hmm. uh, you know, the logical thing is to think after an accident like that 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 would have had an impact but I mean I'll never know but uh, uh, and but after that time after that fall I had to have around the clock 
caregivers, uh, which is not easy no. to manage. Uh, and and I think, you know, a tribute to what I told you about my wife is that all four caregivers still keep coming around hmm. uh, the house. They're uh, angels. Visiting. Yeah, yeah, but they just became part of the family over yeah. several years, and 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 were very very moved. And I, you know, but all of them, they moved from one patient to the next to the next, yes. and so it's nice that they had developed that uh, that feeling for the for her and the family. I think it's important as well uh, for these types of caregivers to get a good wage, because that way we would have more of them. That's part of the system that is difficult as well, is a lot of these people work at different jobs because they have to make ends meet. And that's another failing part of the system. Yeah, well, I, uh, I, I, yeah, I agree with you. Yes and no. I mean, uh, caregivers, professional caregivers uh, charge healthy rates, mm -hmm. uh, which makes them out of range for a lot of people. That's right. So you have to depend on... Uh, I was very fortunate in discovering late late in the game a service out of Mount Sinai with a Dr. Miller who was, uh, my, in my opinion, a, a savior who, who kind of, uh, it's a program they have. I can't even tell you the name of the program, but it's a, I, I think it's pretty much free to people who handle uh, people with memory disorders at their later stage. Uh, he, he was invaluable. He even made house calls, mm -hmm. and he guided us through the end. And uh, uh, he and the caregivers were the ones at the end that said we had to have uh, hospice care, which we had for a very, probably not more than a week or two. But that's a very, very, very valuable function, and I think people shouldn't be afraid of it. But realize that when the time comes, that you really can't do any more for someone and that they can't swallow easily. I mean, I can't tell you the hours I tried to get a spoon of water and the caregiver said, you're wasted. It's, it's just not going to, she's just not going to, she doesn't want to take it anymore. Yeah. Uh, but you, you know, it's hard to accept you're at that stage, but at some point you have to. And, and, uh, as I say, we went to a, also a, 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 a neuropharmacologist, up at Columbia, uh, when it, I realized there's no point going to the neurologist. All you do is go at a, some a certain point. You go and sit and have a nice conversation. Yeah. They don't. They don't even take temperature. There's no point. And uh, they may play around five or ten milligrams with a with a drug, but there's nothing new on the horizon. And they're not. They're really trying to calm someone down more than anything else. And uh, you finally realize that uh, not there is no drug that's going to help. And uh, when do you come to that realization? Uh, when you realize you're going to a neurologist and you're sitting there, you're sitting and, and, there. And, and, and and there's nothing they're doing. Yeah, uh, they, it's not their fault. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no new drug. There's no new modality, uh, and so you get switched to a psychopharmacologists and they they are titrating uh you know giving you changing the the amounts of different drugs that you're already using mm -hmm. based on how the moods change but it, there's very little that can be done you're, you're giving someone comfort and and care and 
love and attention. I, I did something else, which I think would be interesting. Uh, I, uh, and uh, fortunately I get a lot of high marks from my friends and from my family. And mm-hmm. I, I say that it's, it's a self, you know, promoting, but I've heard it from every single person I've ever met that they've seen me with her in a wheelchair down the street or trying to walk with her or, or, at a, at a, I take her. I still would take her to a restaurant and try to feed her, you know, until the last time when you couldn't, you know, in the last year, six months, we couldn't do any of that. But, but I would also take her to parties, huh. and uh, people marveled at the fact. But I wanted them to see that she was still alive, mm. and that she. Uh, she was sitting on the side. Yes. She wasn't bothering anybody. And if they wanted to come over, even though she wouldn't recognize them, which, by the way, for a lot of people, disappoint them because they feel they're wasting their time if they come over and say hello to someone who's got Alzheimer's, that they're not being appreciated. But uh, we don't know. Right. No one, no one knows. I kept visitors coming till the very end. That's a really good piece of advice. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know? it's, I think... As much as possible, I made all my young grandchildren integrated so they weren't afraid of the of this and understood that this Excellent. happened. And they were all all there when she passed away at her bedside. And uh, I uh, I wanted people to know this is not a disease of like leprosy or something right. you can't touch it or Take that you get infected. Away from it. Yes. You know, to understand that it's going to happen to more and more people and try to be comforting, try to you know, visit more often. Mm. Uh, and uh, uh, we would play music a lot. Uh, I don't mean, she watched television, but that wasn't as important as listening to music. We had everybody for a long time before, you know, as we were progressing, we'd have everyone's name on a sign so that it would help her yes. know who she was talking to if she certainly wouldn't. And, you know, sometimes, you know, up until a few years before she could, stagger out the name of the person. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But her ability to have a conversation was gone two or three years Mm -hmm. before. And um, I, uh, this will maybe shock some of your listeners. Uh, I, when she was unable to talk in the last two or three years, uh, and I had caregivers, I, it was very difficult. As much as I did all the things I told you and continue to do it and was totally dedicated and lived at home and, uh, you know, never left, uh, I started having my own social life again because I, you know, you've got to live. Of course. And I got it with the approval of my children and all my friends. I wasn't hiding around corners. And and I'm glad I did that because, you know, when the time came, I was very prepared for for what's happened and it was inevitable you know just, how can you prepare for something like that uh, there there is not i just you have to you know for some people you know you they they have alzheimer's for for three or four years and die some people get alzheimer's at 30 and 40 years old yeah uh, it's a, my wife got it at 65 mm-hmm. uh 60 65 66 which is still very young uh but you know, I have a friend whose wife went on for 20 years. Yeah. Uh, that's that. I mean, my life at 20 years, my life would have been over yeah. if I had just 
sat home every night. I, uh, you know, I, there are lots of people who are more dedicated than I am that refuse to do anything else but sit by the bedside. And, uh, you know, I admire them. I just, I, I just had too much in my life that I just couldn't... Uh, I, I balanced both. Yeah. And I did a good job at both. Who did you talk to? Who gave you advice? Uh, the advice, I I hung on to a piece of advice that I wanted to hang on to. Okay. So I put that. In one of the first sessions of the uh, support group that I went to, I hung on to a statement that was made, uh, which was, it's better that one person dies than two people die. Mm. And that stayed with me because two people can easily die uh, in the this, this in process the of decline. Yes. Uh, and so that's why I decided to try to, at some point, it was really after, you know, sitting at dinner with a caregiver, myself and my wife, for so many yes. meals uh, without, in silence, is really... That I said I have to do something mm -hmm. else, and, and you know, but dinner, dinner would be over at six o'clock or six thirty. Yeah, uh, uh, I, I had to do something else. And she seems like the type of person that would say to you, "I want you to go out and have a life." I'll never know. I'll never know. I, from what I know now, mm -hmm. I would say that to someone who was taking care of me. Right. Uh, you just you can't. I wouldn't want them to go away, uh -huh. but I want them to at least go on with their lives. Otherwise. Yeah. What would you say to a person that's experiencing something like this in the early stages, a, a loved one that's going through this, and they are they are the ones taking care of them? I would say uh, the, they're the they are the caregiver. Yes. I would say uh, do everything you can possibly think of. Read everything. Try everything. Educate uh, yourself. Don't don't get carried away by false promises. Uh, certainly for things that are just. That, that are so that that don't really provide any significant. I mean, we're still fighting the amyloid versus tau. Uh, uh, you know, who's more responsible than the other? Uh, uh, there was a big article in the paper the other day. Amyloid. We finally realized the tests have proven that amyloid is the major cause. And then the next paragraph. But the problem. But the issue of tau has still not been resolved. <laughs> so I said to myself, you know, it's. On the one hand, they're saying it's headlines that it's solved, and the other hand, they're saying it's still there. But uh, I would say, uh, be attentive to it. Be attentive to signs. Uh, and there are things you can do that are very basic. I mean, uh, one of the companies I'm involved with is a company called Senogenics, which is a chain of longevity clinics, which people go to 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 try to get detect early stages of Alzheimer's, of cardiac problems, of, of, uh, of cancer. You can see certain things by, by analyzing diabetes, by analyzing biomarkers, and then treating them with hormones and nutraceuticals. But uh, I would say that's, that's, those are not prescription drugs necessarily. They're uh, generic type of of uh, things you can take, uh, but also uh, exercise um, uh, is very, very important. I think keeping on working is very yes. important, keeping your mind fertile. They say to do crossword puzzles. I'm lousy at crossword <laughs> puzzles, but 
that's it's not. But a I bad, see you reading a lot of newspapers. I read. I read. I read a lot of newspapers. I, I, uh, I've just written a book uh, called No Red Lights, which is how I run my life okay. with no red lights, both literally and figuratively. You don't want to walk with me home. I have a, you're in danger because I don't pay attention. But I also have done. Anything you can imagine from politics to collecting cars to investing in theater to starting Broadway shows to to uh, uh, helping foreign uh, presidents and developing entrepreneurial activities to building three major venture capital firms. And um, I work out with a trainer inside twice a week. When I trained for the marathon, I had a trainer out uh, a track coach mm -hmm. five days a week I uh, I walk every place I walked here today which was from 76 to 46 to 30 plus blocks and I'll walk back home uh, and so I I, uh, I I went paragliding during Christmas yeah. I ran the marathon I went to Burning Man you're living it up yeah, I and in my book that I've written called No Red Lights it says I am going to live to 114. And the reason I said 114 is that I heard a lecture by a gerontologist about 20, 15 years ago and explained that we technically, our physiognomy is such that we could live to 114. Mm. We don't live to 114 because we get cancer, tuberculosis, uh, Alzheimer's, uh, we get hit by a car, we have bad genes, we break a leg, we get pneumonia, each chips away. And I've had a few of those things. Uh, but I like the idea of 114, so I set that as my objective. And I urge anyone to, to do something similar. Set a number that has some, and people walk up to me in the street who know me and say, I know you're gonna live to 120. I said, no, 114, <laughs> read my book. I haven't changed since the day I said it. However, however, that same lecture, if it were given today, would say 120. Mm. They would say you could live to 120 because of the fact that we're all exercising, we are taking care of our health better, we're, we're training, we're uh, working uh, longer. I'm, I'm very much promoting the whole idea of uh, older people staying at work and not going out to play golf with the rest of their lives. And, uh, you know, I, uh, someone read my book, Who Lives in My Building, who's 80 years old, he's been there as long as I have in this building, I've been there a long time. And he said, I loved your book, Alan, I loved it. I've sent it to my children, I sent it to my friends. The only thing I'm sorry about, he's 80 and he's a member of the New York Stock Exchange. He said, I wish I'd read it 20 years ago. Oh, wow. Which is exactly the point is that, you know, do something with your life, make it interesting. It's uh, just an age. It's a stage. There's a book out by a woman named Susan Golden called Stage, Not Age. Oh. It's not your age. It's your stage you're at. Where's your mental capacity? Uh, a guy by the name of David Sinclair, who's a well-known person in this area, just wrote a big article which says, I, I'm not supporting us, that he believes there is someone alive today who will live to 150. Wow. Uh, right now, the oldest person alive, I think, is 121. Okay. But uh, I don't know whether 150 makes sense. Uh, but with new biologics, with new, you know, all these new principles, uh, I will live to 114. 
I will hold you to Unless that. I get hit by a delivery bicycle. <laughs> uh, any bucket list th- items that you need to still cross off? I'm open if someone has an idea. <laughs> I've, I've done so many things. I'm thinking of, you know, climbing to the base camp of some mountain th- this year or, yeah. or or going along some trail. I don't know. I'm, I, I, I don't know what's as interesting as... Doing the marathon was a pretty big feat. Uh, doing Burning Man was pretty big. Doing paragliding across Zihuatanejo Bay was a big deal. Wow. Uh, I, you know, if you come up with an idea, I'm open to it. Wonderful. Uh, when you think about your wife, what's the one thing that pops into your mind? She was the nicest, sweetest person. And I have committed to my children and to myself that if I have another life, it will. I will not settle. Mm, that's a beautiful way to end the conversation. Don't go anywhere. We'll have more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. I want to keep in touch because I, I'm glad that you are turning, you know, what's happened to your life into advocacy and, and trying to find solutions. A lot of us, you know, we can complain about what's going on. We can talk about how frustrated we are, but it's the people that turn their grief or what they've gone through in challenges in life and, and tried to make it better for other people. I think that's the important you know, thing. I know I didn't, I'd throw in, it's not about me, but, uh, when I ran the marathon, I don't know if you know, I raised over $600,000 uh, by, I gamified it. I mean, I said it out to everybody I knew yes. and said I was going to run the marathon and I told them what, I said I was going to give so much up front, so much for every mile I completed yes, and so much if I uh, finished the race. Uh-huh. Uh, and of course, I ended up doing all three because I did finish. <laughs> Although I had some tough times in the in the twentieth mile, uh, and uh, I got a, a lot of people, hundreds and hundreds of people, who supported and gave money to caring kind. That's wonderful. Uh, I was a big help to them, and uh, I was very happy to do it. But uh, uh, it, it inspired people that someone my age was willing to, yes. to try something as crazy as I, I didn't run it. I. I walked it and uh, and um, uh, jogged it. Okay, do we have time? To, I can tell you a story. Yes, please do. Uh, I'll tell you a funny story. It's a it's a I wouldn't say it's a shame on me story, but it's a, it tells you something about me and my determination. When I when you run the marathon, walk it. The you're in corrals and they go out and there are fifty thousand people, so they go out ten thousand batches, and immediately after the runners go, they go like a bat out of hell to get it, get it. And the ones who are walking and jogging are left behind. And so, you know, out of the first 10,000, I think I was the second batch, maybe there are 50 people who are, you know, at my, at my pace. And uh, as I was going across the Verrazano Bridge onto 4th Avenue in Brooklyn, 
And my son from California, I have three sons. One came with me just to keep me company. I think he was keeping me company, but worried in case I dropped, de I dropped dead, he'd be there. But uh, we were on the left side of the road. It's a big avenue. And uh, crowds on both sides. And I hear on the right side, everybody is screaming. I'm not going to use the right name because someone might know on this phone. Uh, go... Eva, go Eva, go Eva, Eva, you can do it, you can do it. And they're cheering like you cannot imagine from both sides of the road for Eva. Okay. Eva is walking, the lady looked hunched over. Yeah. Here I'm standing tall with my 46-year-old handsome son, and she's getting all the accolades. And I turn to my son and I said, oh, oh, Jamie, what are, what, are we, what are we, Swiss cheese? No, no one even no one even knows we're here. And and here I'm sacrificing my body and my mind. At this stage, I said, while we're walking, move over to the right side and ask Eva how old she is. Yes. I've just, it's gotten to me. So he goes over and then he comes back. We're still moving forward. And he says, she's 62. Oh. I said, she's 62? <laughs> And I'm 88, and no one is cheering for us. I said, "This is this is unacceptable." I just I'm not going to go through 26 miles like this and listening to her cheers. So, I said, a, the sister of my daughter-in-law, one of my daughter-in-laws, was meeting us at mile five. I said, "I'm calling." Her, her name was Christina. I said, "I'm calling Christina." And she was coming to the race anyhow. I said, called Christina. I said, Christina, find a Sharpie and come to the race with a Sharpie. And she came to the race with a Sharpie. And I wrote across my chest, I am 88 years old. <laughs> and for the next 20 plus miles, yeah. they cheered us no. every inch of the way. And Eva was, I never saw Eva again. <laughs> she Nicely was done. But that was... Uh, that was my ego at work. Would you do uh, it again? I, I, I don't know. You know, I did it. I ended. I finished it. Not doing it. It's finishing it. Yes. Uh, what can I do better? I, I don't. I'm not trying to beat a time necessarily. I trained a lot for it. Uh, I uh, I don't know what I have to prove to do it again. I haven't said I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Uh, everyone asks me if I'm going to Burning Man again. If I'm going to to run this again. Or to paraglide again? I don't know. Uh, I try something new. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, it's not. The answer is anything's possible. Nice. What's your greatest achievement when you think back? In life? Yeah. Oh, I mean, corny. Like everybody else, I built a, a great marriage and a great family. That's a uh, great I have, answer. I have three sons who are successful in their own right would have nothing to do with me. What I, my business, they, they aren't. They never had to live under the mantle of being Alan Patrickoff's son. They built their own identity. Uh, I have seven grandchildren, all of whom are devoted, great kids, and I'm very, very close to them. I'm taking four of the, the girls to Paris uh, in two weeks yes. for a weekend. Uh, I took one of them to college on a college tour last week. I speak to my grandchildren, if not every day, absolutely once a week to every one of them. Uh, they call me or I call them or that's... something. So that's an achievement. And I think the fact that I've built, uh, I've built three firms in the venture capital industry. Mm -hmm. I, I'm a, I was a pioneer 
in the venture industry. Uh, I virtually started the industry. I'm just getting a big award from the industry uh, in recognition of that. I got the Legion d'Honneur last year from the government of France for starting the first French venture firm. I started the first English venture firm. Uh, you know, I've, I've built a good career. I, I'll tell, okay, I'll tell you what I'm most proud of. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you that. Uh, I wrote a blog about Oh, maybe, I don't know, time goes so fast. I think it's five years. It could be now closer to 10. Uh, every day of my life, every day, hasn't happened yet, but it's only 10 o'clock. Uh, <laughs> someone will walk up to me on the street or in a building or in an elevator and say, always the same, you don't remember me, but I worked for you 25 years ago. You invested in my company 40 years ago. You were the only person who interviewed me when I was coming out of college who gave me advice. You, you know, you, 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 whatever it is, and it's because of my age and because I've done so many things that I know so many people. And I sat down once and I said, and I, in the beginning, I used to be very nervous that someone would come up to me and say, you don't remember me, but you screwed me. You you stole something, mm-hmm. and it's never never happened. And I don't think even after this program, it's going to happen. Uh, and it's because of how I've run my life. I try very hard to be nice to people. When you're in the venture business, you're saying no to most people's projects. Yes. And so that you have to remember to that person. When you say no to that project, it's like saying your baby is ugly. Mm. And so you have to learn how to say no. So I wrote a blog, the title of which is, You Don't Remember Me But. And I go into the fact that everything in life is cumulative. And you build the reputation that starts when you're in grade school or high school or college. And those people who you meet along the way... They don't disappear. They they all come back into your life somehow or other. As I say, for me, every single day, if you stay, want to spend the rest of the day with me, I guarantee you it will happen on 6th Avenue, 5th Avenue, in a meeting or something. Uh, before the day is over, someone will say it. And uh, it goes with the story. And so what I'm most proud of is, and I tell this to my children, I've built... I've worked hard at building a reputation that I've treated people nicely, that I recognize that, uh, you know, you have to be kind and thoughtful and not preemptive. And uh, I return every single phone call Mm. from someone I know overnight. Uh, I hate people who, you know, don't get back to you for a week. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I hate people who say... That's a great idea. I'll get to it next week. Yeah. I do everything in the moment. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I think it's a, I would say I'm proud of that. Uh, I, I think that comes number one of how, what you leave. Uh, you know, as I say to my kids, I'm not, you are not going to be the richest kids. I promise you. Don't be, don't be surprised. I'm telling you the facts. But I will leave you a good reputation that, is worth something. And I, I think they're finding that out already. That was an excellent answer. Uh, and I really appreciate you being here. You're obviously such an accomplished man, but I've really enjoyed our time together. I'm sorry for your loss. 
Um, but I think, you know, your words are going to help others. And I think, you know, that's that's the important thing. You know, we're all sort of we've just gotten out of a pandemic and a lot of, you know, tragedy has happened. But out of that, you're you're trying to do good. So yeah, I thank one of, you for that. Well, I guess one of the things I, I, I should be happy about is my wife didn't know the pandemic and yeah. she didn't know uh, other things about our presidency. That's, <laughs> That we went through. Well, this was a nice bubble without <laughs> thinking about all of that other stuff. So thank you for being here, Alan. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, and by the way, if, if people want to find out about your book and what you do uh, with Caring Kind. Well, uh, Caring Kind, they can uh, go to Caring Kind. It's, I assume it's in the phone book. It's I don't. Uh, Online. Caring I'll Ki- make sure I've got all of it. Yep. And my book is uh, available on Amazon. Thank you for plugging it. I really would love everyone of you to buy it and buy it for all your friends and your children. It's a great title. And your children. It has, it's an inspirational book for older people and for young kids. And it's called No Red Lights. And it's also an audible. Okay. And it's Do you read bit, it? You read the book? I read the book. Very I, nice. I started Audible. That was one of the companies That's I started. fantastic. So the pres- but a lot of people don't read their own and, books. Well, the president of Audible... CEO Don Katz told me when I was doing, he said, I'm suggest- telling you, read your own book. That's yes. what people good most like about uh, an audible version. That's why the Obama's books have been, been perhaps so, well. so successful. Yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, and it's it's doing pretty well. Where it's not unfortunately available is in a lot of bookstores. They just don't carry books. Yeah, no, today. I understand that problem. But, oh. yeah, there's you, a way. There's a you, way. You can get it at uh, at Walmart's and uh, Barnes and Noble's, mm-hmm. and uh, I guess through all those places. I like the title of your blog. I think that could be a book too. Well, it's in, it's in the book. I mean, a lot of these things I've talked to you about, including, by the way, my the ep, the experience I had in the Alzheimer's world is okay. in my book. Good. I wasn't going to include it originally, and a very good friend of mine who's a writer and who uh, gave me advice said, you can't write this book I, oh. uh, without including that. Of course. That's a big part of your life. I actually think you could do a whole separate book on caregiving. So we'll have you on for that. There's your next idea. I, I'm, I've got to find my next good investment idea. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate that. Thank you again to Alan Patrickoff for joining us today for such a heartfelt and moving conversation. If you would like to find out more about Alan and his amazing life, you can head to his website, alanpatrickoff.com. His book is called No Red Lights, Reflections on Life, 50 Years in Venture Capital, and Never Driving Alone. And thanks to everyone at Caring Kind for helping others learn about caregiving. If you would like to find out more about their organization, their website is caringkindnyc.org. Thank you to all of my listeners. If you have someone you think should make the Dean's List, let me know at Janice Dean on Twitter or Janice Dean FNC on Instagram. Or you can rate this podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or at foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Spread the sunshine.